0: Owning your own part, that's probably the biggest part of what needs to change in an organization. What am I doing that I need to do betterly in order to build a better organization and have a stronger and higher performing team? I mean, that's the question that leaders need to ask.
1: On this next episode, I spend time with Lee Basin, one of the founders of our company, who has worked closely with thousands of leaders over the last 33 years as a coach and trusted advisor to senior leaders and CEOs all over the world. Lee shares some of the challenges that he's seen all leaders face and some of the strategies that he's used to help them work through these challenges. And as we head into 2023, I hope you'll draw some encouragement, inspiration, and a renewed commitment to your team from what Lee shares in this episode of Optimize Your Team. Hey, Lee, great to have you on the show. It's great to be with you, Rohan, always. I like to start these conversations out with a general question. How would you describe your leadership style, Lee?
0: Of course, that question gets asked of me a lot, um, and I ask it of others a lot. But I've kind of gotten stuck in a good way, I think, with the general theme of relational. You know, thinking in terms of our own concept of relational capacity And that definition about uh, the width of topics we can discuss the depth at which we can discuss them. And for me, at least the third point is the degree of honesty in which we can discuss them, which goes directly to the real value and worth of the relationship. Can we, even if we disagree, be honest with each other and trust one another to stay engaged in the relationship, even? over points where we're not completely aligned. So uh, to me, that transparency is a key ingredient to that, as is trust, you know, without it, you really don't have much.
1: No, that's very true. And, And I will say, you know, you're probably one of the most intentional people about relationships, or with relationships that I know. I was just uh, with someone yesterday who, who, obviously, you know. But you met her when she was in college, a college basketball player, and you know she was telling me how you've stayed in touch. You know, now she's a therapist, is, is actually a coach, and possibly a future member of our team. But it's someone that you used to, I know there's hundreds like that that you've just been not just relational, but intentional and disciplined on staying in touch. And that's I, I, one of the things I love about you. And we were talking about you yesterday. Wow. So your ears must have been burning a little bit.
0: Well, thank you. You know, it's uh, for a guy who's nurturing as described by others is not particularly high. <laughs> I hope that that intentionality conveys in some way, you know, my regard for people and the sense of responsibility that I think we all have to do the best we can. Sometimes it's impossible to engage with everyone you've ever met, coach, talked to, you know, I'm 68. So that adds up to a lot of folks at this point in my life. But I I keep trying. And when somebody even mentions a name, I tend to go, oh man, I haven't talked to them in too long. I've got to find them and uh, just let them know that their name came up in a positive way. And I wanted to say hello. I just feel like in some way, that's good for the universe, you know, if we can uh, think about people in, in that light.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I love that about you. Uh, so give some of our listeners, I know obviously a lot of the audience at Teamalytics is very familiar with you and, and being a founder of the Flippin' Group and, and Teamalytics uh, as well. Uh, but just give us a quick highlight of your background, and, and that'll give us a little bit of context for the rest of our conversation today.
0: Yeah, I, I probably should at least mention that uh, my mom and dad married like a lot of people did back in the early 50s while they were still very young they would argue they were not prepared to have children they had four boys i was first and they had those four boys within a six-year period and uh, while my dad was in the military so there's no doubt you know that played a part i don't know if birth order is the big deal that some people make it out to be in psychology but at least I felt the pressure, especially from my dad, who would remind me often that I'm the oldest and his expectations for me were to model the correct behavior in front of my little brothers, you know? So academically, if we move forward, I have degrees in teaching, you know, my first, my undergraduate degree uh, was in K through 12. You know, I wanted to coach and teach. Really, I wanted to be a professional baseball player uh, that, like it does for most people who aspire to be a professional baseball player did not work out. And uh, I I defaulted back into college and then got a master's in counseling psychology. And I should say that I'd always felt that, I mean, I don't mean any offense to these folks, just like my parents weren't prepared to be parents. I don't think most people are prepared to do what they end up doing, (laughs) you know? there's just very little coaching, mentoring, apprenticeships that, uh, that go on these days effectively, I think, uh, with intentionality, I felt like my parents, teachers, coaches, professors, pastors, bosses missed wildly in being intentional about connecting with me for one thing. And for sure in developing me as a, as a whole person. I was just another kid in a class another player on a team another employee in a company Uh, this is what i felt like and i knew i was worth more than i was being given in terms of their time and uh, investment in some instances the stories are are uh, pretty dramatic and some are are, you know are pretty tragic but i don't regret any of those i'm thankful that those became sort of my I would do it this way, stories. you know, like, boy, if I had a chance to do that, if I were the coach, if I were the teacher, <laughs> if I were a leader, if I owned my own company, <laughs> and uh, you know so I, I took all that, and I, I think rather than getting bitter, I just got better. You know, I just was pursuing, how do I be better? You know, my first real job after college, because I did a lot of paper routes to pay for things as a kid, like motorcycles and for dates and things like that. But my first real job after college was as a counselor in the Texas Department of Corrections. That's what it was called then. Now it's called the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, which arguably is not a really (laughs) legit title either. I don't know that there's a lot of justice out there. I'd like to make that system better too. There I was in my twenties, tasked with providing counseling to inmates much older than me, much more street smart than me, nearing their mandatory release dates, and who'd been, uh, you know, diagnosed with some variety of mental health issue. I even uh, volunteered to be a coach at that unit where I worked, uh, and there at that specific unit in Huntsville, Texas. I coached basketball, baseball, and even powerlifting. Uh, so I, I really did get engaged. You know me, you know, Rohan. I uh, uh, just getting halfway in is not something I, I, I do very well. So let's fast forward. I did some other things. I stayed in the prison system for a while, really loved it. Finally found a pretty good boss there too, Dr. Kathy McBay. wherever you are out there, Kathy, you were, uh, you were magnificent. And it was hard to leave the prison, but when my now business partner and dear friend Flip Flip had approached me about uh, leaving prison, he likes to tell people I was in prison when he found me. He got you got of prison. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, well, when he came to me and suggested I join him in changing the world, you know, a new company that we'd start. I was intrigued. I knew of Flip's history already, his work with kids. and struggling families and couples and um, he was even as a still a young man back then he was he was pretty legendary this was 1989 by the way ultimately Janie and i decided to leave that perfectly good job with a salary and benefits (laughs) for for what i call the ultimate benefit of changing lives you know and uh finding a way to help other people do that Uh, it was super super exciting and day one was August 1st, 1990. And here we are now on 15th, February, 2023. We're working on uh, 33 years now. Wow. And uh, grateful that people like Rohan Paul have joined us along the journey and made us way better than we would have been without you. And I could say that about virtually everybody in the organization, right? And you know, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that, that, that's my background. Love it.
1: That's awesome. I'm glad you took the risk and started us all on this uh, incredible journey that we've been on for the last 33 years. Mm-hmm. There's so much that I'm tempted to ask you about just founding the company and, and why, and but I, I, I want to keep focused here because over the last 33 years, you've worked with several hundreds, you know, maybe even thousands of leaders in all walks of life. But primarily over the last, I'd say probably 15 years, you've spent most of your time coaching CEOs and senior leaders that run large, complex global organizations. And, and so since our primary audience is our people that lead people and teams, I thought we'd focus on some of the things that you've seen over the years as you've worked with CEOs, as you've worked with senior leaders, that, that they find really hard mm. and, and maybe just unpack some of the ways that you help people think through these things that are difficult. What, what are some of the things that come to mind?
0: Yeah, there are three things that pop into my head, you know, when I think about that. And after all these years of doing it, you kind of, you know, where the stumbling blocks, potholes along leadership journeys are going to be. And I want to caveat this with, for our processes to work, uh, I'm not saying that what they're currently doing isn't working and satisfying their board of directors. And most of our clients that we have these days are already profitable. You know they may want to get more so but you know we're looking for a client who's you know wants to fundamentally create a captivating culture that encourages people to be their best and feel like they're doing you know work that's of value with people that they enjoy uh, working with mm-hmm. so it makes it sort of a different sort of clientele that even wants to kind of work with us <laughs> To start with, but even then, first and foremost, I think the the hurdle I have to get over first with them has been there are too many leaders, you know, in this world who don't want to take personal responsibility for the failures of their organization. You know, with a CEO, it might be they're having problems on their leadership team in some ways, and until they can look in the mirror, as Dr. Jim Collins suggested in uh, good, the book Good to Great and uh, sort of see the culprit in the mirror that it's going to make it hard for us and our work or me just personally and my coaching to have any effect until a person knows that they're at the root of the issue the most senior person especially then it's really tough to make progress there you know so um mm. i think it starts with that you know owning your own part that's probably the biggest part of what needs to change in an organization. You know, what, what am I doing that I need to do betterly in order to build a better organization and have a stronger and higher performing team? I mean, that's the question that leaders need to ask us. So I just don't find enough of those people out there. I don't see them. You know, um, a second one would be, I think almost all CEOs struggle as do all people with addressing inappropriate behavior. And that could be at home with their with their teenage kids. It, it could certainly be, you know, in the boardroom and in the executive team. They struggle just like every human being does with conflict. And in other words, I'm saying that most of the biggest issues are the biggest issues that uh, you know that people in general face. But really confronting someone who is toxic to the organization and dealing with it effectively and appropriately is something that I I think a lot of them struggle with. You know, uh, too often, like elite athletes, uh, these toxic toxic teammates, they're kind of given a behavioral pass because, you know, they're productive. You know, they're highly skilled. They get stuff done. You know, and we just say, well, you know, I'm just going to keep overlooking that because they're delivering results. And so it becomes... Well, because somebody's delivering results, they can treat me however they want to. Um, I think only one person wins in that scenario (laughs) with a toxic performer, right? So um, hanging on to folks like this, I don't think they realize how quickly it erodes people's trust in them as a senior leader who seems incapable of addressing the situation and overlooks uh, the damage that this person is causing downline in the organization. And then thirdly, I just haven't met very many CEOs who have a workable plan for the development of their direct reports. I think this is true for virtually all leaders. I don't, I don't want to just say CEOs here. <laughs> I could say that no matter where people are in the executive team or all the way down to the supervisor of you know just workers, you know, who's who supervise no one. I just don't see very many companies with a strong approach to the development of their of their teammates, which means there's always opportunities to get better and more productive and to create better culture and to show people that you value them more. Mm. So they use they'll use outside folks like us sometimes although we're the only us that I know of, honestly, out there. And I I am biased about that. I just haven't seen anybody else have even the ideology and the thoughtfulness behind development that we do. So I don't even think they know how to identify at the root of things the behavioral risk that people have. You know, that's where I think our tool is really helpful in, in sort of stating the obvious because these are not surprises. You know, we do our 360. And it helps raise self-awareness. But basically, it's just saying, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, we already knew this existed. (laughs) And that guy sitting in this room, and it's been this way for a long time. Now we've validated it. Now what? So even though they've known it, they've done nothing to address it because they don't really know how. Or they're not encouraged strongly enough to do it. Uh, They have other pressures pushing on them that are related to quarterly earnings reports and things, you know, which take precedence over these things, which are more cultural, which means rather than thinking in quarters, you're thinking over the lifetime of an organization
1: in your decisions, right? And it's the whole urgent, not important, and so you get caught in the in the urgent, right, and <laughs> neglect the no. That's a that's a great list of, of of things, and so you know what I'd like to maybe do is just dive into each one of them a little bit and just hear from you how you really help. And then let's come to the first one about the taking personal responsibility, and that kind of threw me off when I first hear you heard you say that because you know I think a lot of us would associate. Leaders with, of, of course, they take responsibility, and they're and they're trusted with, with with all of these tasks. But you were saying something a little different. This isn't just being responsible. This was really recognizing that ultimately the buck stops with with me as a leader, not just as it relates to getting results, but the way people are treated, the culture and the climate that's created. If there's someone that's you know quote unquote a bad apple. It's not just them that's the problem. There's something that that I need to own as the leader. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause I, I you know, I kind of miss it at first, but <laughs> but I think it's a really powerful point.
0: It kind of goes back to, you know, when Flip wrote the book The Flip Side ages ago, and we had read a book called The Goal by Eliyahu Goldrat. And and then Flip came up with the concept of organizational constraints, you know, with number one being we all have constraints. Number two, being any leader who is unwilling to address their own constraints is unfit to lead. That just resonated with me so much. Made me think, am I really fit to be a parent, a husband, co-owner? I got to get better. Again, going back to the the inspiration behind that is that we, is continuing growth and continuing improvement. Uh, I think Stephen Covey, you know, to your point about urgency and intensity, talking about don't let that get completely in the way of quadrant two, you know, which goes to development and learning and reading and all these other things that we can do to improve each other, ourselves and each other. You know, so I think I would say that I've been looking for years now for the right CEO to start with, and the right CEO is determining that can be a little bit tricky. Someone is referred to me. They want me to work with their team. They'd like to have a discussion. And I'm like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I don't know if you're the right guy. I mean, you may want to work with me. I'm just not sure we're the right company for you. So why don't we do this? You know, is my strategy. Let's do a 360 on you. And then I'll debrief that. I'll kind of show you that would feel like with you know with you so you can understand what it would be like with your team but really it's an opportunity for me to understand how people around him or her view them Mm -hmm. then see how acutely aware or not they are of those risks and then to see whether they go i mean here's what i'm looking for i even i even wrote it down that's spot on Boy, they're absolutely right about me. I'm sure my spouse and kids would agree. Yeah, you know, it's those sorts of things I'm looking for. Now, if they're not there, then I—it's not that I'll give up on them completely. I may sense enough sort of humility that I may want to take the risk of going a little deeper because of other things they may have told me about their value system and their—you know—just what they believe about leadership, which we try to unpack a little bit in that first interview. And at that point, at some point along that, we have to determine whether or not that person can own the process and understand that if they're not 100% bought in, the banner waiver and the flag carrier and the you know that has the torch and is leading the way and uh, is open to their constraints being talked about in front of their leadership team. Mm-hmm. If we can get that person, we have have a chance. I mean, together, we have a chance to move the needle and move the culture in a direction where people get to work in uh, a healthier place, ultimately.
1: Yeah, I like that. It it kind of reminds me of what you said earlier about when you talked about relationship and your leadership style, you mentioned trust and transparency. And it's it's almost looking for that 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 vulnerability that a leader is willing to have to make themselves vulnerable and that helps foster that environment of trust and transparency in the team. And if a leader is unwilling to do that, it really can hamstring, you know, anything anything that, that we're trying to do with the team. And I know I've seen that in in, in the work that we've done over and over and over and over.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is not like rocket science to you and me. I mean, we, this is what we're dealing with day to day. Here's the beautiful part, Rohan. I mean, I am in a position now where I've been working with the same clients for a long time. They want us in their lives at some point. We're a part of their executive team. We're a valued part of their organization. We're just not coming in. They don't think of us as vendors or, or contractors. They think of us as their teammates, uh, their friends. And that ideally is when a CEO can get there with with us. Then oh my gosh, you know we we can accomplish a great deal, you know inside these organizations.
1: Let's move on to the second one because this is this is a challenge as a parent myself. I know it's hard, uh, you know dealing with what you called counterproductive behavior, I believe, because it could be conflict conflict avoidance. You, you mentioned this behavioral pass. I love that concept of, hey, as long as you're getting results, I'll just kind of turn an eye to, you know, everything else that comes with working with this person. And this <laughs> powerful point of how often leaders don't realize how letting that behavior continue is a reflection on themselves. That was, wow, that, was, that one hit me. But let's talk about this. How do you help leaders address these behaviors? What are some ways that you found as far as, you know, really helping someone who is delivering results also be a better teammate, also be a better leader, also be a better boss, also be a better member of the team? What does that look like?
0: Well, you know, someone has to be a truth teller in these leaders' lives. I think that's the value that I think the the right coaches slash consultants bring is that we're going to speak the truth to them. Uh, whereas other people may be hesitant to challenge them to do something. We have to be the ones who encourage, I love that word encourage. I remember general van who you had on the podcast recently. He's the one who said, you know, encourage is to give someone the courage to do something that they're fr- afraid of doing because without fear, it doesn't require any courage it's, and it's shocking. I know for us to think that we ourselves can be afraid to address issues with certain people but we're human beings and it's pretty com- it's, it's not pretty common it's completely common across all cultures and it's just difficult to do for several reasons I choose to approach it from a skill point of view and an impact if you don't address this what is going to happen beyond this. The if this, then that uh, approach in my counseling. So if you continue to let this person behave this way, what do you think the repercussions down the line are going to look like? I think they've turned a blind eye to that. And so I'm not going to let them do that anymore. If they can't answer that question, I'm going to say, well, let me tell you what I think is going (laughs) to happen. I think some really, really talented people that have a shot at being successors here And super strong leaders are being held back by that individual's uh, behavior. And you're at risk to lose some extremely talented people and awesome teammates uh, because of your failure to address that person's counterproductive behavior. Something has to happen. If there's one thing I've changed over the years is I just get to that a lot quicker than I used to you know, I used to let it ride because I felt like, you know, it'd be nice to keep that that person a customer for a year. (laughs) And my fear was getting in the way of losing the client because I was pushing too hard. And I decided, you know what, it's worth the risk. Nobody else is going to push them to do this. So I'm not doing my job for them if I'm not kind of pushing them, encouraging them a little harder to deal with those issues. And of course, the next step is to role play that conversation and show them the skills for having conducting that under a process. And you know how much I love our own Excel model as a process for uh, dealing with all kinds of things, but uh, it's especially if a person's trained to use it in dealing with a difficult individual to, to speak with. And the other thing is like, they said, well, it's not going to go well. And I'm like, it depends, well, define well. You know, let's let's talk about what that means. What, what is well? No, it's not going to feel good. You're not going to be, yeah, I can't wait to do this. And you probably shouldn't feel that way about it. It's sad that we have to do these things, but we do have to do these things. And while it may not feel good, you know, what we're after is seeing if this person is at a point where they will. Where you're confronting them will help turn their ears on, unplug their ears and allow them to hear uh, this truth, which I am backing up. I tell them in my coaching sessions with this person who's also not listening to me, who doesn't think who doesn't think anything's going to change and that nobody his issues are not that big. And that his aggressiveness and high criticality are not that that much of a problem. And his low nurturing, nobody cares because I deliver. Anyway, so I do, we could spend an entire podcast just on the strategies (laughs) of dealing with that. So that's, uh, I'll I'll stop there for now. But what what are you thinking?
1: No, I I had having, you know, having the will, seeing that there's a, recognizing the need that this is something that I have to do rather than just, oh, you know. So at some point, someone will get around to this, like the the immediacy of needing to act on it was one thing I took away. Developing skills and role play and practice and, and, and working through it, I think, was the other thing. And I think maybe we should do an, an episode on this because, uh, you know, <laughs> I know when I, when I look back at, at, at our platform, at the behavior that we most often coach with executives, cri- the lower criticality, the risk of being too low, the risk of not holding people accountable, the risk of not addressing issues soon enough, uh, rather than just, you know, wait, 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 explode, right? Which is what a lot of us do is just underreact, underreact, underreact. And then all of a sudden one day it's boom and everyone's surprised where this came from. And I think that would be a great idea to, to really unpack this a little bit more. But let's go down to this development plan, or really leaders having a way to develop others. And I, I think in, in many ways, in a lot of organizations, this is just something I guess you're expected to do in your in your free time, or you know, <laughs> just somehow sort of pick up as a leader, and a great leader develops others. And I guess everyone else just does a good job and hopes that the organization succeeds, maybe. But let, let's talk about some ways that leaders can be intentional about developing their direct reports and really developing their team.
0: Man, I've got, again, all of these subjects are so huge, right? So it starts with getting help, recognizing that what we're doing isn't working. You know, again, it's just like why we're hired in the first place. A lot of this is, man, my people aren't growing. Uh, They're not behaving. Some aren't behaving well. I don't know what to do about it. Uh, I've tried everything I know. I've asked HR. They haven't been able to help me solve it right? So what do I do? Help me, help me. That's obviously and always uh, part one. I think it's also realizing that most senior leaders, I think, do embrace outside counsel, coaching better than they do training coming up through their own HR departments. I'm not blaming the HR departments. I'm blaming just the the role and relationship where a senior person doesn't want a junior person in the organization coaching them. That's a problem, by the way. I mean, that's, that in itself is worth addressing. When, if I as a partner in our company am unwilling to be coached or listen to someone because Mm -hmm. they're not at the same uh, senior level that I am, that's a, that's a leadership flaw in a huge way Uh, that also needs to be addressed. And so you could argue that the humility, uh, the breaking down of, of the diversity of roles, leveling things out in terms of the way we view other human beings, period, I think is super important foundation to lay for in order for growth to occur. If I'm only going to accept feedback from someone that's my superior, uh, then that is a problem you know, to begin with.
1: Yeah, that's a powerful point. When you talk about developing others, um, you know, it's not just giving other people feedback and telling other people how they need to grow. But it's modeling that willingness to listen and receive feedback and grow yourself uh, is what I hear you saying. um, You know, that's that's so key.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. That's exactly it. In fact, I think you're saying it even better than I am. So thank you again this is we we have a whole process we've laid out in our approach to working with teams but we also don't start that somewhere in the middle layers of any organization again we it goes back to if you don't move the needle at the senior level and get people aligned around the way they should be behaving as a leadership team as part of the development plan in other words Forget the technical skills for a minute. That's not our job when we come in. Uh, Our job is saying, look, we've got to get people's behaviors more aligned around your values. And so we do things like a social contract where we try to discern through a process of building this uh, agreement with each other how people want to be treated. I do think it really starts there where the quicker that we can get to a point where we understand how, really help them understand. I think we already understand that, but we're trying to help them have conversations with their people about how those people want to be treated very fundamentally and very basically. And then you've got to get senior leadership agreeing to do that with each other before then you can begin to cascade those expectations you know throughout an entire organization and that takes that takes time but it doesn't happen at all if the senior leadership team can't pull it off
1: first yeah i love that
0: so again you know if my healthy parents have a better opportunity to produce healthier and higher performing kids if the parents relationships are strong then much better odds that the kids, you know, despite life challenges can do well. The same thing's true inside org- organization because leadership teams are represent the parents will say, uh, in an organization and they have a responsibility to parent well, which means get our kids prepared to do what their assigned tasks and goals are. Help them meet those goals. Help them aspire to more. We want them to do more. But we don't even know what they want to do in too many cases. We direct training to them without first even understanding what their own personal aspirations are at home and at work. So there's lots of things mixed. There. I could throw a lot into the bucket, but uh, I think for time's sake, again, we'll, maybe we can tackle it another time.
1: Oh, yeah. So much, so much to unpack. But I think it's a really powerful, uh, you know, I know one of the axioms that we share so so many times, and we believe this internally as well, is, you know, your culture is not what you aspire to. Your culture is really determined by the behaviors that you model and the behaviors that you tolerate. That's your culture. Agreed. You know, taking ownership of that and making sure we model that as as leaders is challenging, but I think is a message I know I've received from you and and Flip. I, I will say this before we move to our rapid fire close questions. One of the things and I've shared this with you many times, um, but I think it's just a it's a wonderful model. It, it, it's something that I had never seen before when you and I first started working together. Not only did you share your action plan with me and you know your plan to mitigate your constraints <laughs> and, and and adapt your behavior, but I'll never forget the way that you challenged me, one of the newest, um, you know, people in, in the organization to have the courage. And you used that word, will you have the courage when you don't see me behaving according to this plan, when you see me violating, uh, you know, my plan or my commitment, will yeah. you have the courage to to call me on it? And, and, and I, I remember, you know, feeling a sense of responsibility in, in that moment, but also I valued your willingness to to open yourself up in that way, and and you and I have had lots of chances for, for you to give me that feedback and, <laughs> and and both ways, and I think it's only helped our relationship develop and and grow and deepen. And so I really respect that and and value that, just in the way that you modeled that uh, with me all those years ago, and continue to model that. Thank you. Um, awesome. I could. There's so there's so many more uh, areas we could go and, and talk about, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna close. Resist the temptation, and we'll pick some of these threads up maybe on a future discussion. Let me jump to our close question. So favorite day of the week, Lee. Today.
0: You know, it's it's the only one I'm promised, you know. So, you know, being intentional and grateful and pouring out myself into every human interaction that I get to have. Yeah, it's today. <laughs> I love it. Talking or texting? Man, I love texting. I really do. But But how do you you text this conversation, right? So uh, they're just just too easy for things to be misinterpreted. So really, I think conversations that require any amount of listening or dialogue uh, where communication and understanding are essential, I think that requires that you and I get on the phone minimally and zoom. Hey, I'll take zoom. You know, I, I kind of got zoom weary during the, you know, the lockdown, but I kind of missed the, uh, you know, the facial expressions and all that you can read by just uh, seeing someone smile or wonder or, you know, so, um, yeah, that's it.
1: Okay. Favorite productivity hack for leaders.
0: Well, again, this is just me being a creature of habits. Get up early you know, get up early, reset your mind and body, you know, for the mission of that day, this day, you know, to me, it's super important for me to get up early, to read, to reflect, to write down my reflections, you know, to kind of look ahead at what's happening that day. Oh, I'm going to be with Rohan today. You know, let's just make sure I'm, I'm prepared for that discussion and uh, thinking about him well in advance of the, you in this case of of anything that's going to happen that day, so to me, yeah. If you want to be productive, start the day by focusing on the things that matter most to you. You know, thinking about my family and friends, and you know, wondering what I who I need to call, what I need to do to support them. I mean, all those things. Rohan,
1: hey, we could do a whole episode on your morning routine because I know there's a there's a there's a routine there. and It's very powerful, uh, uh, but we'll save that one. Favorite okay. phone app,
0: music. You know, I'm so, um, not
1: surprised to hear you say that.
0: Yeah. Music. I think, especially I love live performances, some music videos with live performances of people that are really passionate. And, and I also don't like just, I like all kinds of music, but in the morning specifically, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for inspiration.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: And, uh, so I use that. And usually I work out to music too. So, um, uh, so that's important to me. Yeah.
1: Love it. Most impactful book you've read this year.
0: Well, this was tricky because I want to be honest. Uh, you know, I really appreciated Lyle Wells, you know, the five-day leader. And I want to give props to him as a dear friend. Um, but without naming it, I'll just say that the the most impactful book I've read this year and every year since since 1970. Three is the number one selling book in the world, <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that.
1: <laughs> I love it. Best <laughs> advice you've ever been given,
0: man. This just jumps into my head. You know, don't allow anyone ever to steal your joy.
1: Mm.
0: You know, I think an attitude of gratitude puts us and those around us in the best position to endure the challenges of, that each day brings. So when people tell me they're, you know, they've, uh, when people begin to feel ungrateful or seem to be lacking joy, you know, for me, the choice of joyfulness, despite what's happening around me, it's not related to the circumstances. It's related to how I want to feel inside hmm. and what I want to convey to other people. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's it for
1: me. I love that well, Lee, it's just it's it's hard not to, to to have a conversation with you without this message of just taking ownership and responsibility and doing even even that last that last one you just shared here um, that 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 I don't feel challenged by that, but I've also seen you model that mm. uh, in in all the years that I've known you, going on sixteen or seventeen years now. I've seen you model that consistently. And, and, and I think it's what makes you such a powerful leader, what makes you such a powerful coach uh, and, and such a wonderful teammate and such a wonderful leader. So love, love getting to do life with you and, and just enjoyed this conversation very much. Thanks so much for joining us this morning.
0: My great pleasure, Rohan.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of the Optimize Your Team podcast, head over to our website, teamalytics.com to find out how we can help leaders like you grow your team. Or if you have someone that you'd like to nominate as a guest, send me an email at podcast at